Hey, thanks so much for listening to this message. My name is Jason, and I'm one of the ministers here at the Madison Church of Christ. It's our hope and prayer that the teaching you hear today will bless your life and draw you closer to God. If you're ever in the Madison area, we'd love for you to stop by and study the Bible with us on Sundays at 5 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If you have questions about the Bible or want to know more about the Madison Church, you can find us online at madisonchurch.org. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast as well as our sermons podcast, Madison Church of Christ Sermons. Thanks again for stopping by. I hope this study is a blessing to you. Start our time together this evening in Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. And we're going to let uh, Jesus uh, kind of frame uh, the story of Gideon uh, tonight. And maybe that's something that uh, you've not heard done before. Uh, it was something that kind of jumped off the page for me. Last week I was uh, in Ohio doing a vacation Bible school. And I've just been really impressed this year with the vacation Bible school themes around the area that I've been associated with. Uh, I believe you all were back to the Bible uh, which is wild because I remember doing Back to the Bible 20-something years ago, and I was young enough to be Marty McFly in those videos. So that's been a long time. But we had a lot of fun doing those over at North Broad Street uh, in Albertville, Alabama. Uh, but we, we had a blast doing those, and so it was great. And, and Facebook is a wonderful thing because you get to see all the pictures and all the cool things everybody's doing. And, man, it just looked like you all had an absolute blast uh, doing that. But it is great, once again, to be with you. We're going to talk a little bit about Gideon tonight, but I want to talk a little bit first about the idea of the phrase devoted to destruction, which is found in Joshua over and over again. These people, this land, this group has been devoted to destruction. And it is the same word uh, in Hebrew that we kind of use for the idea of devotion. I'm very thankful tonight that we don't show our devotion to God by destroying wholesale groups of people. Uh, let me just tell you, that's a great blessing that we have in Jesus, that we don't fight battles the way they used to in the Old Testament. We don't have to worry about doing those things, and it's wonderful. But there is that aspect that Joshua, the point is made, that these things that you're doing are in devotion to me, that you're showing uh, your uh, allegiance and obedience to me by doing the things that I've told you. And in that aspect, things have not changed. Uh, today with our students, I was telling them first thing, that there's nothing you can do today that's going to make God love you anymore. And there's nothing you're going to do today that's going to make God love you any less. He loves you. It's unconditional. It's a wonderful thing. And so our response to that can either be a lazy one, one of, well, I'm good. I don't really have to do anything else. I'm not needing to add any more value. Or it can be a freeing one one that uh, removes a lot of anxiety from our life. God loves me regardless, and so today I get to wake up and I get to do the absolute best I can and know that I'm going to fail, uh, but even if I fail, it doesn't change my relationship with God that He loves me. And so how I show that I love God is how I treat people. But this understanding that there is a level of devotion that he wants from us, a, a level of allegiance or obedience that we might use those words and they sound a little better. And we get to Judges, when we talk about Gideon, there's this verse in there that's terrifying. I, my degree is actually in history. <clears throat> and so there's a terrifying verse in Judges, chapter 17 and verse 6, where it says, There is no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Now I teach 7th and 8th grade Bible to boys. 
And a lot of times in middle school, you may remember those days, it really seemed like might made right. The biggest guy made the rules. And that's a large portion of history. That's how it worked. The biggest guy, the biggest army, the biggest group made the rules. And then this guy by the name of Jesus came along and created what we now get to celebrate, Judeo-Christian society, or as I like to refer to it, polite society. No, you go first. No, we'll stand in this line. (laughs) If you've ever thought about what a crazy idea a line is, to stand in line and wait your turn is just something we naturally do. We're taught at a very young age to stand in line and wait our turn. But for a large portion of history, standing in line and waiting your turn is odd. We're really living in odd times that kind of go against the grain of history. So think about how terrifying it is, and you can read Judges on your own. I challenge you to do that. To think of there not being any authority whatsoever and everybody just doing whatever they want. And we live in a society that thinks that that's okay As long as you're not hurting anybody, just do whatever you want. Well, it doesn't take long to do whatever you want and hurt somebody. It's kind of like if I throw a rock right now, I might miss some of you. But more than likely, I'm going to hit somebody. And you want me to stop doing that before I do hit somebody. But it's sometimes we lose touch with how far we've actually come and how much of history has been spent in dog-eat-dog situations. And we all benefit from that. Even our enemies of this country benefit from rules of engagement. And what he's telling us in Judges is there were no rules of engagement. Now, there are several people throughout Judges that we take, I take a lot of heart from that if he can use Samson to do his will, he can use Travis Creasy. Uh, I am not a psychopath as far as I, last I checked, and Samson gets real close. You know, I, I'm no counselor. I'm no psychiatrist. I don't know... But if your first gut reaction is to tie two foxes together, set them on fire, and run them through somebody's crops, hey, the shoe fits. Uh, and so you're like, man, he's trashing Samson. I'm not trying to cast shade at Samson. It was the time he lived in. But things don't work that way anymore, at least here. And for that, we can be thankful. Right? Amen? Okay, good deal. I'm just making sure we're all tracking here. Uh, and so we get to Luke chapter 11, and Jesus talks about this return of the unclean spirit. Return of the unclean spirit. In just a few passages, he's going to talk about the sign of Jonah. I think there are two signs of Jonah. One is the obvious of the three days inside the big fish, right? Jesus is going to show them that sign. He's going to be in the tomb for three days. But I also think there's another part of Jonah that's a sign to the disciples, Uh, He says the Pharisees and Sadducees won't receive a sign. But I think it's also a thing to the disciples. Who did Jonah go and preach to? Feel free to talk. This is all wide open. The Ninevites, was he happy about that? No. He was mad. In fact, when they actually repented, God, I knew what would happen if I taught your truth. I knew that they would repent, and I want them to be punished. Does that sound like the Jews and the Romans to you? We want the Messiah to come, and we want you to wipe out the Romans. We want to watch them run with their tails tucked between their legs if they even get that chance. Think about the Samaritans and how they treated Jesus and what James and John wanted to do. Why don't we just call down fire 
kill all those guys. So I think one of the signs of Jonah is I've come to save everybody. I've come to seek and save that which is lost, which I think is the theme verse of Luke or one of them. And so the sign of Jonah is I've come to save even the people that you don't think deserve it. And one day you'll come to the idea that you'll understand that you don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. And so as a Gentile, I'm really happy that he came to save us <laughs> rather than what Jonah wanted to happen or James and John and Peter, as much as we like those guys. They probably wouldn't have liked us very much, uh, at least early on. So let's look at Luke 11, 24 through 26, and we'll use this uh, statement by Jesus as kind of our, our points uh, for the story of Gideon. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and finding none. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of the person is worse than the first. And so my immediate thought with this passage is like when my wife cleans the house when my kids aren't home, right? How long does that last when the kids come home? Two seconds, and everything's back out. And so my response as a man is what? Why do you even bother? <laughs> Just let it, I don't see dirt. I don't see a mess. But that's not how you ladies work, right? Thankfully, or the place would be a pigsty all the time. So, thank you. Uh, but that's the first thing I think about. We sweep the house, we get it all, I don't say we, she sweeps the house, gets it cleaned up, and then me and the kids show up, and the dog and the cat. So it's a constant kind of job to keep things in order. And there's two approaches to Jesus, and sometimes it's, we want to keep things in order, and so we're busy, 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 busy. And the moment we let up, it's worse off than it was before. Or we let God come in and have complete control. And we say, don't, don't make me busy, Lord. Make me be in your will. And there's, those are two different places. We'll get there. So point number one, casting out the evil, cleaning up the place. If we go to Judges chapter 6... And that's where we'll spend the, most of our time, the rest of the time tonight. Judges chapter 6, verses 25 through 26, you can see there that Gideon tears down the idols of his hometown, his, his father's idols. He tears them down and he uh, gets rid of them. Uh, and then you look at uh, chapter 7, verse 19, 8, 1 through 21, and he defeats the Midianites. I say he, God defeats the Midianites. Uh, the strategy that's used uh, makes zero sense to us. And so he cleans house. So he tears down, he gets rid of the evil spirits, these idols, these things that his family was uh, perplexed by and really cursed by. He gets rid of them. He does it at night, so he's not really all that bold. And once again, I don't want to cast any shade at Gideon because... Me and Gideon have a lot in common because I've certainly made a deal with God for a lot less. Uh, it was mentioned that I'm a football coach, and so I repent before you now, right? There have been those times, Lord, <laughs> we really want to win. Could you pull that out for us? That's ridiculous, right? Sitting here in church, that's easy to sit back and go, wow, Travis, really? Come on, man. But I'd be willing to guess at some level, 
before we had a good understanding, good mature understanding of who God is, we've probably done the same. Or maybe I'm alone. That's cool too, right? I'm here to repent. It's not a great thing. So I want to get that out in the forefront. There is no me judging Gideon here. In fact, I'm going to pull out how me and Gideon are a lot alike. And so then he defeats the Midianites. So he cleans up the place. He gets rid of these idols. He does what he feels like he can do. And it really is just kind of showing up. You ever felt like that with Christianity? That God has done so much that we just get to show up and enjoy the benefits? You ever felt that way? I hope so. I hope so. Because that feeling will help you keep showing up and doing the things that you ought to do. Not that you have to do them. But the, this amazing way that God treats us. You know, second of all, Jesus talks about in verse 26 of Luke 11 that they were worse off than they were before. If you fast forward to Judges chapter 8 and verse 27, uh, <laughs> Gideon makes this off-the-wall kind of ask. He's done, uh, he served the Lord, the Lord's used him to defeat the Midianites, and he says, hey, just give me your gold, and he molds it into a golden ephod, a golden ephod. And I've heard a couple of things of what the ephod was, uh, you know, some kind of garment or whatever, and we won't go into too much detail there. But it's not something that you, would, you or I would look at and go, man, we should totally worship that. Jesus says you can't serve two masters, for you'll love the one and you'll hate the other. And what is Jesus inferring there? You will worship something. None of us in this room and nobody outside of this room no matter where you go in the world, as long as there are people there, we're all serving something. And so Jesus says, if you're going to serve something, and you all will, choose wisely. Choose wisely. Choose the thing that can sustain you. Choose the one that not only can uh, kill the body, but he can kill the soul. If we want to go negative, uh, we can do flip that and go, not only can he you know, outlive the body, but it can also save your soul if you want to go more positive route, not to put words in Jesus' mouth. I think all those things line up. And so the obvious question tonight is what have you served today? You know, Joshua says, for me and my house, you know, choose you today. And I believe that every day we get is a day of choosing. Every day. I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning, get ready to go teach middle schoolers right out the gate, and I've got to make the choice. God, I choose you today. I choose you today. Now, the beautiful thing is, is God's made his choice. He's chosen us today. He's chosen us forever. And so we just have to be that committed. We have to say, hey, this is yours. Judges 8, 29 through 31, the rise of Abimelech. The rise of Abimelech, Avimelech. My father the king is what his name means. And that's a false statement. He's basically lying when he claims that throne. It's, it's kind of like a title. And boy, is he something. Woo! Read the next chapter, Judges 9, if you want to see about Abimelech. They got rid of the idols, they got rid of the Midianites, and then they were worse off than before. He kills all of his brothers except one. He's basically killed by a millstone being rolled over on top of his head, and worse than that, that happens and he's conscious enough to tell his sword bearer, hey, don't let me get killed by a woman, kill me. To me, that's like the hardest part of the story. Like, if you get hit in the head with a millstone, you want it to be done, okay? You don't want to have the conscious, the ability to go, hey, 
run me through with a sword because I'm in a lot of pain, which that's probably not how he said it. That's kind of calm, right? These are the jokes, people. That's good as getting. Okay, all right, moving on. Uh, and then chapter 8, 33 through 34, they return to Baal worship. And so most of you, if you've done Bible study on the judges, you know it's cyclical. Right? They get saved. They give themselves over to idols. They become dominated by whatever power in the area is. They cry out to God. He sends somebody to save them. Does this sound familiar to some of our walks in Christianity? This is not just judges. Now, they take it to an extreme measure. That's like totally my life. I became a Christian at 12 years old. And I became, started uh, making these deals with God <laughs> at a very early age. And so it seems like we're just constantly in that cycle to some degree. And maybe as you get older, it gets easier to get out of that cycle. But I think the problem is, is they've not replaced the bad things with not even the good things, the God things. There's this process, our theme for the year at Riverside is, comes from 2 Peter chapter 1, 5-10, through 10, and it's kind of this march of discipline to godliness. Actually, it's really a march to love. And he starts, you know, with every effort, make every effort to add to your faith this and this and this and this. You get to... Uh, godliness, and then it's mutual affection or brotherly love, Philadelphia, and then it's agape love, like the upper echelon of what it's like to follow the Lord is just to be love, to be a blessing. We all pray for blessings. I hope you pray for blessings. But how often do we pray, let me be a blessing? Let me be the embodiment of of what your plan is for my life, and that is to be a blessing to others, to be love. And so we're, we're marching up that. So how do we stop treating the symptoms and allow God to solve the problem? I think that that's also uh, kind of shown in the life of Gideon. Number one, we see ourselves as God does. We see ourselves as God does. Judges chapter 6 Verses 12 through 16. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? <laughs> all of a sudden, my life is a lot like Gideon's. <laughs> why? why has all this happened to us? Why are we suffering in this way? If you're with us, where have you been? That, that good old statement that we have, if you feel like, uh, you know, God isn't with you, who moved? I think that's how it goes. And so he asked the question that you may be asking this evening. God, you say you're with us. How can you let this happen in my life? How can you let leukemia show up? How can you possibly let my ki these kids that live in my house, that we're fostering, go back to a situation that is not good? How can you let this happen to us? Where are all his wonderful deeds that our, for, our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. A lot of times I used to think, Oh, man of valor, who are you talking to? The guy's 
kind of threshing and in, in, uh, in, in hiding. And then I see his reply of questioning the Lord, and I'm like, well, <laughs> you must have a little boldness. I think of Job, even though he slay me, I will still ask the questions. We know that Gideon is a true Jewish person. He's an Israelite. Why? To wrestle with God. So he asked the questions. I do not think it's wrong to question God. He's big enough for our questions, don't you think? There is a level of questioning that's a trust thing. How many times do our kids ask us a question that we just giggle at? And we think that's just so funny because they just don't understand. And then we look at each other and go, I have no idea where to start to tell them or to explain this. Right? Sometimes we're just not ready for the answer. And obviously Gideon was not ready for the answer. Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us. Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? Sometimes we ask the questions and we do not like the answer. From time to time I get that from my students. Well, what if, coach, what if there's an island out there where nobody knows about Jesus? What happens then? I said, I don't know. You tell me. When are you going? Sure, you can get a plane or a boat. When are you going? Sure, I'm glad I don't know about that island, right? <laughs> I've given you this power, this ability, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is now in you, Romans 8. So here we go. Do we see ourselves how God sees us? Romans 8 is my favorite chapter. I'd love to preach on it. If I had one last sermon to preach, it'd be Romans 8 every time. It starts with, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, which would be enough, right? Romans 8.1, if it ended there, would be enough for us to show up every time the doors are open, sing praises to Him all the time, because we're not worthy. We're worthy of condemnation. But He didn't stop there. It's a great infomercial of the Bible, y'all. But wait, there's more. Not only are you not going to go to hell, there's more. And by the end of it, we're more than what? conquerors. What if we saw ourselves the way God sees us? We'd probably get a lot more accomplished because we would know exactly our weaknesses and we would know his strength or the best we can with our feeble minds and we'd be unstoppable. Humility. He loves humility, right? And he loves to show up in the clutch. Anybody in here got the clutch gene? Like ninth inning, two outs, bases loaded, we're down by three. Anybody love that situation? Because I don't. I like being over on, <laughs> you got it, sport. You're the man. I was never a quarterback, never wanted to be one, because quarterbacks get all the pressure. I never had a chance, because I was usually on the sideline doing exactly that. Yeah, go get him, buddy. God is the clutch gene. So I'm going to show up, I'm going to show out, and the one who deserves it is going to get the glory. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify who? God. See, part of the problem is a lot of times we think that we deserve the glory, but we see God for who he is. Second, how do we stop treating the symptom and solve the problem? Number two, we trust God, or we turn to God when we doubt. 
We turn to God when we doubt. What does Gideon do? And we give Gideon a hard time, don't we? Well, I need this to be wet, and then I need this to be dry, and I need this, and I need that, and I need this, and I need that. Gideon, come on, man. Get with the program. But at the very least, who'd he turn to? Starts with a G, ends with odd. God. He turns to God. The, the guy that has his son sick. Do you believe? I believe. Help my unbelief. So instead, when we doubt turning away from God, turn to God. He shows up. He shows out in, in a wild way. That's in Mark 9, 24. Help my unbelief. The third thing, trust God to equip us. Trust God to Equip us. Chapter 6 and verse 34. Who's going to give us the winning strategy? You see, I, I graduated in 2003 from Fried Hardeman, and I had this paper. It was a great sheet of paper. And it hangs on my wall today because I like laughing at it. It's a good reminder of that guy that thought he had the process and he had the plan, and man, I was just going to save everybody. I mean, our church was going to be huge. It's going to be ginormous because I got a piece of paper that tells me and everybody that sees it that I know what to do. Come to me for answers. Boy, that's a funny piece of paper. And there ain't a joke on there other than my name, you know. Uh, even though, I mean, that's pretty proof that Fried Hardeman would let anybody graduate from there. Uh, that, that's exciting for people. Uh, but let God equip us. Judges 6, 34. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. I like that. And he sounded the trumpet. And the Bizarites were called out to follow him. So where's the power source? Who equipped him? God. O valiant warrior, isn't it I that am sending you? Isn't it really my power? I remember preaching in India, and India has like, maybe I'm not overshooting too much, but at least hundreds of dialects. And so if you go preach in India, you're going to have, I think I had three translators. So these people would walk 150, 200 miles to go to this Bible conference, and they would sit the whole day, and I would get up and give my little 30-minute sermon. And so 30-minute times one, two, three and they, would, they were disappointed because I didn't go longer. Like, we walked 150 miles, dude. That's it? That's all you got? And so we did a question and answer, and I'm standing up there, and a guy raises his hand in the crowd, and he asked the question, how do you convert Hindus? I've never even met a Hindu. So I go to Acts 17, I give this big long spill. Uh, I'm just, you know, throwing out as much as I can because I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, the guy who runs the school gets up, walks down the middle aisle. I'm done. He stands up and he goes, it's the power of God. And sits down. So, yeah, what he said. Exactly what he said. 300 guys with just Gideon, 301 dudes with just Gideon, not beating the Midianites. But that's the point. Send them home so that nobody here gets the glory but the one who deserves it. Send them home. All the ministries you got going, all the services you got going, and obviously you do, once again, observing through Facebook. 
There's a lot going on here. It's amazing. It was great dropping my kids off. It was awesome. I mean, it was great. But God gets the glory. That's what we want, right? That's why we're here. God gets the glory. He receives glory. People get saved. 2 Peter 1.3 tells us that he's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. He's given us. What does benevolence mean? That's another meaning of agape. Uh, there's never a because. You look at Isaac loved Jacob because he ate of his game. Because. God loves because that's who he is. I hesitate to even say cause. Just who he is. That's benevolence. I give because of what God has given me. It all starts with him. And so he's just being who he is, love. We're all somewhere on the journey of becoming like him, which is love. Benevolence is not, hey, I expect you to pay me back. If you've ever done any church benevolence, I've even had people say, hey, when I get paid, I'll pay you back. And I knew better. They're not paying you back. But that's not how it's set up to be done, right? It's not set up so that you'll pay. You don't owe us anything. Because he paid a debt that I could never pay. And so the least I can do is give out of my abundance. But see, Jesus puts a higher priority on giving out of what? Giving everything you've got. Think about all the thousands, millions, billions maybe of people who've read the story of that widow or the woman who comes in and anoints Jesus. Everybody who, read, everybody who reads the Gospels hears about this awesome woman and what she's done because she got a taste of who God is. She allowed herself to be clothed with the power of God. Our ways are not His ways. If we all got here tonight and we got together and we huddled up and we said, let's come up with a strategy to defeat an imposing army. We live close enough to the arsenal that some of you might have some pretty good ideas. Might have some pretty good strategies. I would be lost. I would have no idea. You might as well just send me out there as a distraction. That's about as good as I would be. You know, Take me out. You guys run and hide while I distract them. That's about uh, the value of my strategy. Comes to a football field, maybe a little differently. But zero of you are going to come up with, hey, let's get some jars. And then you get some, some lamps. And what we'll do is we'll just stand up and yell, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And then they'll just kill each other. Right? I'm not wrong on that. And we all have the hindsight that it worked. All right? Uh, when I first started being the head coach at Riverside, the first game, fourth and one from our own, like 40-something, and I call a bomb. Right? And I could just hear my wife up there in a press box going, What? You don't do that? She asked me after the game, didn't you? What were you thinking? I said, I wanted them to know I'd do it. So that everybody that watched that film for the rest of time would go, He's a little on the crazy side. They would have to plan for that. And so those fourth and ones from then on would be a little easier because they know, hey, well, in the back of their mind, it's, this guy's crazy. We've got to drop somebody back. That's a little football strategy. 
That's not what most people are going to do. I didn't do it again. <laughs> you know? And the older I got, the more scared I got to do something like that. I'm really glad that young guy did it. He had a little guts. But there was a purpose, even if it failed. Now, if I'm crazy enough to do that, knowing that it could fail, when God shows up and tells us this is how it's going to work, shouldn't we trust Him? Shouldn't we say, this guy's batting a thousand? Sorry for all the sports references for our non-sports fans, but that's just the way it is. Sorry. Just imagine me teaching you for five hours. It's ridiculous. But he's kept all his promises. So we should trust him to do what he says he's going to do. Isaiah 55 tells us, our ways are not his ways. Let's look very quickly. Judges 7, 19 through 22 so Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch when they had just set the watch, and they blew the trumpets, smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hands the torches and in their right hands the trumpets to blow, and they cried out, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran. They cried out, and they fled. And then Luke chapter 22 Luke 22, verse 38. We'll start back asking in verse 35. And he said to them, When I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, Nothing. Notice the trust. He's talking to his disciples. He said to them, But now let the one who has a money bag take it, likewise a knapsack, and let the one who has a sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled. And he was numbered with the transgressors. It's illegal for them to have swords. Uh, for what is written about me has it, its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. The beauty of God, one of the beautiful things is, is he knows exactly where you're at this evening. He knows exactly what you need. Sometimes he's willing to just put up with a lot of things that really don't matter. A lot of times on our podcast, we'll say, hey, if for your mental health, you need to leave your Christmas lights up till June, what's that to me? If that makes you happy and gets you through. When I had leukemia and I wasn't eating anything because everything tasted like uh, tinfoil, they said, hey, you've got to get something down your throat. We don't care what it is. You've got to eat something. You'll waste away to nothing. Whatever it is, ask. And basically told them, make it happen. And I said, I, I, I could eat some chocolate cake. White cake, chocolate icing. And I made mention of something about how that was so big to me because we used to have uh, get-togethers after church when I was growing up. My aunt had this old cake plate, and it was bent up. It wasn't pretty. It was just a metal old cake plate. But I knew when that thing showed up, it was time to feast. And I mentioned that in the fact that, man, I want a chocolate cake like Aunt Brenda used to, to make. She lives way away from Huntsville. And I guess the next day, or a couple of days, she walked in with that cake plate. I felt about this tall. Even more puny, which is amazing. Because she thought that much of me. That she would bring me those things. And I just thought, man, how amazing was that? How wonderful is that? And so sometimes I think God goes, if that makes you happy, it's not hurting anything. Here it is. If two swords, and Jesus knew for a fact they weren't going to use those two swords, Peter tried, 
if they weren't going to accomplish what they were thinking, then sometimes God goes, hey, if you need that and it's not hurting, it's not sin, it's not some issue, like leaving your Christmas lights up till June and everybody looks at you weird, if that keeps you in the game and keeps you aware, there are people who don't step on lines of a baseball field. There are people, you know, I had players all the time that had these crazy ideas that somehow, some way, this made them feel better. You better believe on game day I'm not addressing it. I told my coaches, if you ain't addressed it by Wednesday, don't bother because it's too late. It's game day. Folks, it's game day. When we leave here tonight, it's about business. Whatever metaphor you need, <laughs> right? Whatever's got to get you in the gear of we're going to serve people in the name of the Lord, and we have the sword of the Lord right here, then let's get it done. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, it talks about being clothed in Christ, and you're clothed in Christ through baptism. He equips you. Tonight, when you get home, you get an opportunity, I want you to write this down. Go read Romans 13, 11 through 14, and accept the challenges. I've gotten to the point now where I pray at school and I say, Lord... We accept all these challenges in the name of Jesus Christ. So if you would, let's pray together. Dear Gracious Father, we thank you for the blessing of life. I thank you for the opportunity to come out and hang out with these wonderful brothers and sisters of mine. God, I pray for those who may be here tonight uh, that don't know you, that don't have that intimate relationship with you. Help them to realize, God, that you know them and you see them better than they see themselves that, God, they would buy into how you see them, that, they, that you see limitless potential because it's not their power, it's yours. God, I pray for the individuals who, they may have been Christians for a very long time or maybe they're new Christians. Help them to realize that it's not really their power, it's not their effort that saves people, but we all have an opportunity every day to make every effort to look more and more like you and that your spirit comes in. God, we know that we can remove all these evil things from our life. We can clean the house. But if we don't let you have complete control, let your spirit move in and take over, that it will be a constant battle that you've already won. Help us, Lord, to submit to you more tonight. Help us to look more like you today and tomorrow than we did last week. It's in Jesus' name that we accept these challenges. Amen.